Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Who's that knocking on the window? Who's that standing at the door? What are all those presents laying on the kitchen floor? Who is the smiling stranger with hair as white as gin? What is he doing with the children? And who could have let him in? Why has he rubies on his fingers, a cold, cold crown on his head? Why, when he cause his carol, does the salty snow turn red? Why does he ferry my fireside as a spider on a thread, his fingers made of fuses and his tongue of gingerbread? Why does the world before him melt in a million suns? Why do his yellow yearning eyes burn like saffron burns? Watch where he comes walking out of the Christmas flame, dancing, double-taking. Herod is his name. Charles Cosley wrote this poem, Innocent Songs, after he had spent time looking at the text that was just read for us. This is a text that I believe many ministers are somewhat hesitant to want to speak about. It's not a pleasant text. It's not the kind of text that you would use for a children's story. It's a text that raises all sorts of questions. And if you look at it closely, it makes you wonder, was this a historical event? Did this truly take place? None of the other Gospels mention it. Josephus doesn't even mention it, talk about it. Did this actually happen? Or is this a myth? Is this a story that was frequently used of rulers talking about when they felt threatened and how they would deal with that by smashing their opponents? Personally, I believe this is a myth. The beauty of a myth is that it is not limited to space and time. As a myth, it contains truth. Truth that will continue again and again. That's why stories like this are worthy of telling again and again. And that, for me, is why I look at this text in this particular way. But this text has been very troubling for me. And so this morning, what I would like to do with you is give you a little bit of my journey with this text, to share with you how I have interacted with it and how it has impacted my life. And by doing that, I hope you will be open to hearing and thinking about how this text 
impacts your life, and in particular, how it shapes your view of God. All you have to do is go back to when I was in my 20s. A new minister right out of seminary in Hollister, California. I thought that I had it all figured out. I had all the answers. Yeah, sometimes I had questions, but the questions that when they would arise, I would quickly set them aside because I didn't want to get caught and bogged down in questions. As far as my understanding of God, I believed that God was an active part of my life. I prayed. I prayed a lot because I believed in the power of prayer to change the direction of my life and the life of others. I believed that somehow prayer would cause God to work in our world in ways that perhaps God would not if I didn't pray. I believed that God was active again, not only just in my life, but in the life of every human being. I was aware of those who would criticize me for that view. They would often say that I believed in a God who was a puppeteer up in heaven. But that didn't stop me because this idea that God was an active part of my life gave me a degree of comfort. In many ways, it was like the comfort that I received when I was living at home with my parents and I was younger. As a child, I relied on my parents. And when things got tough, I could talk to them, knowing that if it was in their power, they would fix it. Well, as someone in their 20s and recently married with a child, calling mom and dad didn't always seem appropriate. But I had God. God became my substitute parent. That's why the word father worked so well for me. As a pastor, I wanted my church members to have the same joy and the same sense of security and comfort that comes from believing that there is this all-powerful, all-knowing God that can make a difference in our world. So what I would encourage my church members to pray. Sometimes they would come to me with questions, wondering, where was God in this situation? Why would God allow this to happen and not intervene and stop it? Back then, I would not admit that I didn't know the answer. So instead, I told them, have faith. Believe. Yes, doubts come, but when doubts come, double down on faith. And above all, don't stop praying. My church members, they accepted it. It resonated with them. Life was pretty easy in that first church for me. Yeah, I had difficulties, 
But spiritually, for the most part, I was okay. I was comfortable. I would come upon this text occasionally, and I would read it, and my first go-to response was, wow, what a God. A God who will save his only son so that that son could grow up and one day be the savior of all humanity. That's how I saw the text. Occasionally, a question would come to my mind, but I would set it aside in favor of the other way of understanding that text. As the years passed by, I don't know exactly what happened to me. I can't pinpoint one particular moment and say, that's it. I don't know if it was the courses I was taking for my doctorate. I don't know if it was the reading that I was doing, reading wider than I ever had before. I don't know if it was because of the discussions, or perhaps it was just life experiences. But it happened. Because one time when I went back to this text and I looked at it, I couldn't see it the way that I used to. Something changed. And what changed was the beginning and the ending of that passage. The text begins in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, much like it ends in Matthew chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Here again, verse 13. Now, when the Magi had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. In verses 19 and 20, hear how these verses mirror what I just read for you. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And the angel said to him, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. Do you see it? The passage begins with a particular wording, and then whoever created or finalized the book of Matthew makes sure that it bookends with those same words. But instead of getting up and going to Egypt, now they are to get up and return to Israel, and in particular, Nazareth. In this passage, that is the only two places that God is mentioned. And it's only mentioned, God is secondarily mentioned because it's first and foremost an angel. God intervenes, but God intervenes through an agent. 
But what bothered me was what was in between those two bookends. If you think of a sandwich, those two bookends, those two passages would be the pieces of bread. What I found troubling was the meat inside of it. To me, it seemed like it had gone bad. Before, I read it, but I didn't pay attention to it. Verse 16 we hear these words. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under. As a new father, I understood what it meant to have a child who was two or under. I understood how it felt when my child would hurt and how that child would come to me, sometimes, usually their mom, but they would come to me seeking some kind of help to make things better. But in this story, there's only one child that gets help. There's only one child where God intervenes and makes a difference. When it comes to the rest of the children in Bethlehem and in the vicinity, they hear no warning. No angel is sent to them. They have no time to get their stuff together and flee. And I thought, what was it like for the dad back then who watched as his child was ripped from his arms and as that child looked at him, calling for help, and there was nothing he could do. I would never read the text the same. And I would never see God the same. Before, I had virgin eyes. This text took that away from me. How could I explain God? Why was God willing to save one Jewish boy and allow the rest of those Jewish children to die? No wonder Rachel was sobbing and weeping, the Bible says, and would not be comforted. Who could be? This idea of God being actively involved in my life 
it began to go away. And in place of it came a lot of questions. How involved is God really in our world? Why is it that sometimes God will intervene and other times God seems to be foreign, a stranger? What good is a God who won't care for everyone the same? I read about how other people tried to deal with this text. One of the ideas that came out was that God values free will of human beings. So God will allow things to happen. God will allow evil to work itself through us. I can't buy that. The God that would help me find a great deal on car tires. Where was that God back then? So the questions continued. It was a little bit more difficult to talk to my church members about those questions. They were used to me being able to give them the answers. I couldn't do that anymore. And when a member would ask me, where is God in the midst of all of this? I would awkwardly sit silent. I wish I could tell you that after 20, 30 years that I got the answer now. I don't. I don't know how involved God is in my life. I don't know how involved God is in your life. I miss, I miss the certainty that I once had. I want that sense of comfort and surety that someone is in control. I want it bad at times. But this text won't let me have it. Now, just because I don't know how active God is or is not in our world, it does not mean that God is not important to me. Thermodynamics. I don't understand fully how it works. Maybe take a stab at it. It's how does heat interact with all other forms of energy. I don't know the answer to that. But it doesn't change the reality that heat does interact with all these forces of energy. 
And so in many ways, just because I have the questions and the doubts, it no longer, it doesn't matter, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I don't believe in a God. I just don't have the certainty about that God anymore. If you do have that certainty, if you can see God working in your life, hold on to that. Don't let anyone take that away from you. But if you do have questions, if you do have doubts, you're not alone. And just because I don't think about gravity every day, I enjoy the benefits of it. And often I think that is the way it is with God. I may not know the answers anymore. And God indeed may be a God of surprises and mystery. And I'm learning to be okay with that. What you believe about God impacts your life. What you think about God and what you don't think about God impacts the quality of your life. Please know that just as the ancients had difficulty understanding God, it's okay for us to be in the same situation. I wish I could end the sermon with a raw, raw, God is active in your life, God is doing this in your life. can't. But as your pastor, I can offer you this. I will journey with you if you will journey with me. And we'll be okay if we don't find the answers. Because ultimately, we do live in a wonderful world. That I know. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving Beatitudes Radio empowering people to enrich society